Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 10th. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from an economist on what positive revenue collections could mean for the state. As college graduations continue, students tell us their plans for staying within the state or moving on to another. It shouldn't be a problem that you can't have a nice car because you can't drive it on the roads if you pay taxes. And I just don't see it changing. And find out how University of Mississippi nursing students will be taking health services directly to the community. And tips as you spring clean the cupboard. We'll hear from a food safety expert. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some state leaders are hopeful that increased revenue collections will continue. The amount of revenue taken in for March and April has exceeded expectations, catching the attention of lawmakers and economic analysts. The $130 million windfall comes after nearly two years of not meeting projections. Corey Miller is an economic analyst with the University Research Center at the Mississippi Institutions of Higher Learning. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby it's too soon to tell what will happen next. It's a positive sign. It's a little early to call it a, a trend yet, but revenues ex- exceeding expectations are always a good thing, particularly given the, the performance in the last few months. Uh, the economy is is growing. Uh, we're growing a little slower than neighboring states and most of the nation, but we are we are growing. We're expecting the economy to have, in, our, in terms of our gross domestic product in Mississippi, to have expanded again in 2016, and we'll find out more about that later this month. We're seeing uh, increases in employment, albeit uh, at a fairly slow rate. Uh, we're seeing small changes in incomes, income growth, a little bit below uh, the rest of the nation. So we're seeing some progress, but it's taken us a long time to, to climb out of the, the Great Recession and its effects. Can you put your finger on why that is? Some of it has to do with some of the, the underlying and systemic issues we have in Mississippi. Uh, particularly, we have an economy that was more in, manu- in the manufacturing sector than some other states, and those tend to get hit harder when there's a downturn. Coming out of that, most of those jobs were unskilled workers, and those are the, some of the first ones you lose, and it takes a longer time to get some of them back. And anytime there's a recession, there's kind of a sorting out of, of the economy and things. Uh, realign in terms of, of sectors and employment and individuals in Mississippi with, with fewer skills and, and less education. We know that's been the case for a number of years. It just takes us kind of longer to recover. Where do you see where we still need some work? Well, the construction sector is one that's been hit hard uh, nationally, and Mississippi has uh, been no exception. Uh, we've We've lost quite a few jobs in that sector since the end of the Great Recession, and it's taken time for those to recover. What's the outlook from the perspective of this office 
for the Mississippi economy over the next year or two? We expect uh, the economy in Mississippi to continue this uh, relatively slow growth. We do expect uh, some improvement uh, through 2018. Uh, We think our employment situation will continue to improve, and we actually think by early next year we will return to the employment level we had prior to uh, the Great Recession. So how does all of this play into the state budget? Well, a growing economy means uh, our revenue collection should be growing as well, although sometimes they aren't always in sync, I guess is the way I should put it. So hopefully these last couple of months of revenue collections uh, exceeding expectations uh, will continue in the future. When would we call it a trend? The last couple of months, uh, we had some factors such as, of course, April is the month when income taxes are due on April 15th, a little later than that this year. Of course, we also had some issues with uh, corporate tax collection because the deadline to file corporate taxes was moved back to March 15th for this year from April 15th. So that may have, there may be some timing uh, issues in terms of the revenues. And we know that the federal government delayed some refunds this year because of the changes to the law about earned income tax credits. So some people may have delayed their state, uh, filing their state income taxes as well because of that. So Again, it's a positive sign that we had revenues exceeding expectations in March and April, but we just kind of have to wait and see what happens in the coming months. Corey Miller, economic analyst for the Mississippi Institutions of Higher Learning. Thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. Thank you. Republican Senator Josh Harkins of Flowood sits on the Senate Finance Committee. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the revenue collections are a welcome sign. Although you can't really classify it as a trend yet, it is a welcome sign that that the revenue collections are starting to to come up, and we've been a little more uh, cautious and conservative with our estimates uh, given the last budget cuts and the way the revenues have come in. So I'm glad to see that, and I hope it continues for uh, the rest of the year. Knowing that the state is doing better with collecting money, what's the thought going into the special session? The thought going into the special session is to maintain our conservative attitude on, on spending. I mean, we only have a finite number of dollars to work with and we need to work within that framework. But I think what it does is it hopefully helps settle the the, the feeling of having to, to further look at budget cuts and into the future. I think this hopefully will satisfy the requirement that we need to fund the budget at the current levels and we're not going to be looking at having to make further cuts. We've reduced the size of government this year. We've we ran on that as Republicans. We've we've talked about, you know, working with, with what we've what we've got, just like families do. And I think that's what we've demonstrated. We've, we've had to make the necessary cuts. And, it's, you know, it's not fun, but it's part of government. Senator Josh Harkins, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you for having me. Revenue collections have only exceeded expectations during four of the last 21 months. Coming up, some call it the brain drain. Educated millennials talk about why some stay and others leave the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
As college graduations proceed across the state, students commence their professional careers. Some will leave Mississippi in search of opportunities elsewhere, while some will stay in the state to start their careers. State economist Darren Webb says a student's chosen industry may play a role in whether they will be successful finding employment in Mississippi. Mary Mabry is a first-year dental student at the University of Mississippi. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why she plans to leave the state. I feel the state is somewhat backwards, and it's not a place that is fostering for young parents and small business. And I think there are better opportunities elsewhere. Now, at one point, you told me you were very uh, excited about being in Mississippi and had no plans to leave. What changed for you? I got to Jackson and started building my life here and networking and meeting people in the legislature and trying to participate in the ongoing. And I was frustrated in that I didn't feel that I was well represented and that things were going to change in my favor of how I would like to leave my life. You didn't feel represented. What do you mean by that? Things like homosexual marriage. Like, I feel like the state is socially too conservative. Uh, My political views would be that I am socially liberal and fiscally conservative, and I don't feel represented in that in Jackson. Also, the corruption. It shouldn't be a problem that you can't have a nice car because you can't drive it on the roads if you pay taxes. And the infrastructural problems, and I just don't see it changing. So these people with all these problems in their lives, I feel are hypocritical and forcing views on other people that they don't necessarily lead in their lives. And it's not going to change. What about staying here and working for progress? It's almost like there's not a big enough market. I don't want to completely dog it. I I do love Mississippi, but going other places and seeing like how cities can be run and how communities can be run, it's just so much better. And like, for instance, there's certain infrastructure that's missing, like public transportation. People can't get around. Like, I live in Brandon, 25 miles away from the city, because I didn't feel like it was safe to live inside the city, nor were there, like, affordable, nice homes in my price range. And in other cities, you know, there's great housing. There's better opportunities. That's why I want to leave. And hopelessness that it's not going to change. If you were talking to the leaders of Jackson about what you would want to see change for more young people to stay. Give me like three things. So they just stopped funding MTAG and MESG, made it more difficult to get and cut funding for a lot of people. Education is the most important thing. And if you don't fund that for people to stay in the state to educate themselves and they leave, they're never going to come back. And two, infrastructure. You should feel like you can drive your car on the road and have a nice one and not bang it up, which is not possible. And the water and just the compounding infrastructure problems need to be solved. And I'm not saying as I leave that I wouldn't come back. 
eventually. Like, there are aspects that I appreciate. But as far as, like, the time that I want to be, like, chasing dreams in my young 20s, this is not the place. Well, Mary Mabry, we appreciate you taking the time to speak to us about this issue. Well, thank you. Rebecca Godet is an optometry student at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why she plans to return to Mississippi after graduation. I left Mississippi because Mississippi doesn't have an optometry school, but I am on a contract seat, which means for as long as I'm in school at UAB, which is four years, I come back and work in Mississippi for four years. Do you want to come back here? Oh, definitely, yeah. So it was great to be able to have a way to cut down tuition, and I plan on coming back anyway, so. There is concern about a brain drain in the state. So many bright young people in Mississippi going to school in Mississippi and then leaving Mississippi. What are your feelings about it? Personally, a lot of my, the people I graduated with did go to schools in Mississippi, but it seems like the people who are doing things outside of, like, medicine or um, teaching school and stuff, they went other places. So I don't know if it has something to do with... Job opportunities? Job opportunities or... um, People like viewing Mississippi schools as inferior to other ones. Um, I couldn't really tell you. I don't know. I love Mississippi, so I'm coming back. But What do friends that leave say to you? They usually just want to get out of Mississippi. I do think a lot of people will end up returning back to Mississippi, but I think they're just young and want to go, you know, explore while they can. What is it about Mississippi that makes you want to come back? Well, I've always lived here, and I just love it. I don't see myself being happier anywhere else so is there any advice that you would give to lawmakers and uh leaders who want to find ways to keep more young people in the state like you uh for the future maybe making it easier for people to get higher paying jobs with scholarships kind of like you know i have a contract seat for a good job but i had to go somewhere else which is great you know, maybe having that for other things or, um, you know, I know they have the Rural Physicians Scholarship Program that keeps some people here, but that also limits what kind of fields you can practice in. You know, maybe like expand that. For young people who want to stay, then the healthcare field seems to be a place that offers more opportunity here than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, with the health that, you know, Mississippi has and obesity and uh, diabetes and stuff it's kind of like you're gonna have a job you know but if you're an engineer or studying uh, technology computer science it might be more difficult I feel like it might be I'm not um, completely up to date on all the jobs that are available with that and stuff and the pay but most people I know that want a good paying job go into some kind of medical field some kind of you know you have a for sure job when you graduate. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Governor Phil Bryant says the state has always exported some of its best and brightest, but he's hoping to slow that trend. Coming up, if Midtown Jackson residents can't get to health centers, the University of Mississippi is taking care to them. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
The University of Mississippi School of Nursing is gearing up its new Unicare mobile clinic to bring health services to Midtown Jackson residents. Midtown is an older, low-income mid, uh, neighborhood in the capital city. Starting this summer, the Unicare mobile clinic will offer services to patients in the area two days a week. The School of Nursing has run the Unicare Health Clinic in Midtown for almost 20 years. They say when they learned that lack of transportation was hindering many in Midtown from getting to the clinic, the idea for the new vehicle was born. Dr. Janet Harris is Associate Dean of Practice and Community Engagement in the School of Nursing at University of Mississippi. She spoke with MPB's Alexis Ware from the mobile clinic. She says the goal of the clinic. This clinic will serve as an extension of the Unicare Healthcare Clinic, and we strive to utilize all of our clinics as educational sites, not only for our nursing students, but nurse practitioner students, even medical students and residents also rotate to some of our clinical sites. We'll begin with health screenings in the area with particular focus on those individuals who don't currently receive care somewhere else. We will be working with the Head Starts in that area to do early screenings, the EPSDT screenings that are required in the area. We'll be working with some of the elder lunch programs. Once those needs are met, then we intend to branch out. We have individuals who are already reaching out to us, Head Starts in other areas where screenings are not being done. But we will keep that priority in Midtown and then branch out beyond that area to meet needs of other children in particular. Why will the mobile clinic center around the Midtown neighborhood? Quite a number of years ago, when our faculty started their practice in the community, they looked around for potential partners. One of the things we're most proud of is that we are actively engaged with other groups and other individuals in our communities. Through the Midtown Partners Association and the Jackson Housing Authority, over the years they have donated space for us for our family-centered health care clinic. As a result of that, we've gotten to know the people, we've gotten to know the families, and became engaged in the school. Now we know those people well. It's an underserved area in many cases, so that really fits the mission of the medical center. Will it actually be able to diagnose and treat patients, or is it more of a referral place? Because this clinic will have certified nurse practitioners, they are providers that can diagnose and treat. Because we're doing more screenings and management of chronic diseases, if specialty care is needed, such as cardiology care or other dermatological care, then our nurse practitioners would make the appropriate referrals into the medical center. Do you think that there will be an issue of people still not wanting to get treated even though the the convenience is no longer an issue? I don't think so. Uh, The fact that we've been in the community for so long, uh, our nurse practitioners are well known and respected in this community and we believe that they will come since the problem in the past uh, that they've communicated to us many times is transportation. So rather than having to get a ride or get Medicaid transportation where they may be waiting for several hours, uh, we're going to pull right up to where they are. 
Alexis Ware speaking with Dr. Janet Harris, Associate Dean of Practice and Community Engagement at the School of Nursing at University of Mississippi. The clinic will mainly offer screenings and management of chronic diseases. Coming up, a USDA food safety expert answers questions about food storage and food poisoning. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Spring has long been the time of year for annual cleaning projects around our homes. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is reminding consumers it's especially important to remember to include your refrigerator, freezer, and pantry during spring cleaning routines to avoid foodborne illnesses. Reviewing sell-by and use-by dates on many of the items in your kitchen is a good way to do this. Food poisoning is not simply an upset stomach. It is a serious public health threat in America. Marianne Gravely is a food safety expert with the USDA. She tells us what to do with strange refrigerator findings. We've all had that experience of finding a science fair project in the back of your refrigerator. Um, Often it canned things or leftovers that have been just pushed to the back. Um, Just toss them. You don't really have to worry about any kind of pathogen. You know, it's usually spoilage bacteria that have made them change colors or or perhaps mold. But if you find that something in the back of your refrigerator has leaked, then you can clean that area with hot soapy water. Um, That'll take care of, that'll remove any food residue that could cause bacteria to grow. Sometimes people will find in their pantry a can or something has kind of leaked. Um, Again, in that case, just hot soapy water will work. Um, If you want to, you can go over the area with a dilute dilute bleach solution. We recommend a tablespoon of bleach per gallon of water. You don't need to make a whole gallon. That's just the ratio. But that will sanitize that area in case there's any bacteria that might have um, been growing in, in whatever that is that's leaking all over your refrigerator or pantry. If there is bacteria, does it make you sick because you touch it and then your hands may end up in your mouth? It's unlikely, but possible. You know, most of, most of us don't get sick from spoilage bacteria, which is, is kind of funny. The, the bacteria that make you sick, food poisoning bacteria, grow quickly at warmer temperatures, at room temperature, but they don't affect the taste or the smell or the appearance of a food. Um, nobody would get sick if you could tell that something was bad. On the other hand, the bacteria that causes food to spoil it does affect the taste and the smell. It makes it look funny. It makes it feel slimy. It makes it smell bad. But those bacteria don't generally make you sick. But on the other hand, they're usually pretty obvious, so you don't tend to eat those foods. Is there a way of knowing whether you have food poisoning or some kind of stomach bug? It's hard to know because people always think it's the last thing they ate that's making them sick. But some bacteria, when they're causing an illness, don't show up till days or even weeks after you ate them. So you don't necessarily know what it was that made you sick or or when you ate it. But, you know, if you've got severe symptoms of nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, food poisoning is something to consider. What kind of thing would, would not show up until weeks later? There's a bacteria called Listeria, Listeria monocytogenes, and that's a bacteria that's very, it's a scary bacteria because it's one that actually does grow in the refrigerator, whereas most don't. We find it in prepared things like lunch meats, 
deli salads, soft cheeses. And the scary thing about listeria is that uh, pregnant women and seniors, um, anybody with a compromised immune system is at higher risk of getting illness from, from this bacteria. And that is one you might, um, you might have within a couple days of eating a contaminated food, some flu-like symptoms, but it goes away. And then later on, you know, the more severe symptoms show up. You've given us a lot of information. How can people find out more or uh, is there a website or what can they do? Well, we do have a website, foodsafety.gov. It has lots of information on it. We also have a toll-free hotline that consumers can call, the USDA Meat and Poultry Hotline. We're open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Our number is 888-MP-HOTLINE. That's 888-674-6854. And we also have um, Ask Karen, our virtual representative. And that's not me. If you go to (laughs) askkaren.gov, you can search for information or chat live. Wonderful. Great ways to find out more information, and you've given us some really good tips. Uh, We've been speaking with Marianne Gravely, who is a food safety expert with the USDA. Marianne, thanks so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. The CDC estimates that about one in six Americans, about 48 million people, could suffer from foodborne illnesses this year. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.